How can you even defend a position you believe blindly or never even truly studied? Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are not Christians. They believe in an entirely different Jesus, a Jesus that never even existed. Is your life here on earth meaningless and purposeless? Ask Bertrand Russell. He says that our existence here is pitiless indifference. Being in a Christian home makes your kids no more a Christian than them standing in the garage makes them a car. They need to hear the gospel of Christ and receive the free gift of salvation personally. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where we contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This episode is actually part of a four-part series out of my book that I publish, Investigating Lordship Salvation. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking into four passages that seem to have been misinterpreted and misapplied by many people out there. We're going to see these passages are misunderstood and actually irreconcilable with the grace-based salvation which requires works to be evident to be a Christian or a genuine Christian. Through this four-part series, it's my hope and my prayer that we'll all see that the typical Reformed teaching of these passages are in fact in conflict with sola fide and sola gratia and not the correct interpretation. This second episode in this four-episode series of Investigating Lordship Salvation, we're going to be looking at a parable that's covered in each of the Synoptic Gospels. This parable is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. This parable is the parable of the soils, and it's actually a favorite among those who promote the Lordship doctrine. It's actually been said to me in the past that if you want to determine one's theological bent, whether Reformed or not, you can really see how they lean, depending on how they interpret the parable of the soils. Within the Lordship camp, it's actually promoted that the fourth soil is the only true believer, seen in that soil producing fruit, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. They mention that this fourth soil is the only one which is said to produce fruit. The second soil is typically said to not represent a genuine believer because they only, only persevere for a while, and then eventually fall away due to persecutions. The third soil, again, is not a genuine believer because it is seen as unfruitful due to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. So let's examine these claims. You see, when we're looking at the parable of the soils, two significant things must be pointed out first. First, it's of very much great hermeneutical importance that when studying passages within the gospel records, to determine if the same passage is mentioned by more than one gospel writer. Because if you and I were to look at a, an accident and we write a report about the accident we saw, you will probably write about some things I didn't think of writing about and vice versa. So it is very important to get the entire picture to make the appropriate interpretation and then subsequent application. This is why what's called a harmony of the Gospels is very beneficial for any of you that is serious to study the scriptures, specifically the Gospel accounts. And I'd recommend the Harmony of the Gospels by A.T. Robertson. So this parable, like I said, is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark records a very interesting statement from Jesus Christ, namely that one's understanding of all other parables hinges upon their understanding of this one in Mark 4.13. So biases and presuppositions must be placed aside and yet again to seek a non-contradictory interpretation through systematic theology. You know, in regards to the Lordship interpretation in this parable, I must admit that I agree with the interpretation of the first soil, in which the first soil does not represent a Christian. 
This is evident, seen in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, that this individual does not comprehend the gospel message, and Satan actually takes the message away from his heart. Luke gives no misunderstanding when he records that the devil takes away the seed, lest they should believe and be saved in Luke 8, 12. But this is the only area of agreement I can lay claim to with the Lordship Advocates for the following reasons. When we're looking at the second soil, Dr. Welkin points out the fact that the same Greek word is used in Luke 8, 12 and 13 for believe. The difference is that the first soil did not believe while the second soil did. This is seen in the fact that Luke reveals that the result of the first soil not believing was that they did not get saved. It is quite logical then to reason the second soil due to their belief was in fact saved. It's commonly taught in scripture that belief is the only requirement for salvation. And Jesus stated that it is the only work that gives eternal life in John 6, 29. Regardless of the duration of belief, the moment of belief, eternal life is secured, which cannot be lost. And we read this in John 6, 37, 10, 29, Ephesians 1, 13, and a slew of other passages. In Matthew and Mark's account, after tribulation and persecutions arise due to their faith, this soil stumbles. This is the same Greek word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 8.13 in which he limits his Christian liberty of eating meats offered to idols so he doesn't cause a brother who is weaker in the faith to stumble. It brings the idea of tripping or failing to progress. In other words, in times of trials or persecution, because of their faith of the second soil, they cannot see God's sovereign hand and they turn away from God or they cease openly practicing their faith for fear of ridicule. In Luke's account, there's a reference to a particular soil falling away in Luke 8.13. This is the same Greek word used in 1 Timothy 4.1, where Paul writes to Timothy, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, in which Paul mentions the coming apostasy. Only a Christian can become an apostate, for one must have faith to fall away or depart from faith. God declares stern warnings regarding the apostate Christian in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, 10, 26, 27, and 1 John 5, 17. Therefore, this second soil hears the gospel message, believes and receives the message, is persecuted, has tribulations because of their belief, and withdraws. Continuing on to the third soil, we see that the soil, the seed was planted among the thorns, and when it sprang up, it was choked in Matthew 13, 7. It's held that these false professors are suffocated by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and as such, they produce no fruit and prove to be not genuine Christians. Again, the emphasis is on perseverance and fruit, or the lack thereof, and as a litmus test of true conversion. But is that what Jesus says in this parable? That these soils produce no fruit and they don't persevere? You see, we read in Matthew 13, 22 and Mark 4, 19 that this soil actually becomes unfruitful. Now realize that in order to become unfruitful, one must have been fruitful in the past. And it's also seen in Luke's account that this is not the soil that has never been fruitful, but the soil does not produce mature fruit, Luke 8, 14. The soil produced fruit in the past, but it seemed to have stopped producing fruit, or stopped producing mature fruit, at least, due to the cares of life and deceit of money. You see, Luke provides an interesting insight. This soil is seen to have gone 
forth. The Greek word is a reference to following away or path. The fact that upon salvation, the pro- person begins the process of sanctification following the teachings of Christ. But somewhere along the way, the individual loses progress due to the cares and deceitfulness of the world. It also has to be pointed out regarding the second and third soils that each of those soils received the seed and it sprang up. Keeping with the agricultural illustration, as a gardener grows or sows a seed in the soil, the seed sprouts and begins to bud. Regardless of how long the plant continues growing or slowly withers and dies due to the lack of nutrients or water, life was once there. It sprung up. It budded. And that's the image we see of the second and the third soils. In the parable, the seed represents the gospel, and the soil represents the hearer. The life springing up very well represents the reception of the gospel message, message and conversion. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7. Finally, it's held that the fourth soil is the only picture of a genuine Christian seen by the fact that it produces fruit. Again, the focus is always on the outward evidence of an inward change, i.e. fruit, as already you know mentioned. Judging eternity based upon external actions and fruit is inaccurate because we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. We also see that there is no time frame on how often fruits must be born. There is no requirement to the frequency of bearing fruit. It's all subjective. You see, I imagine that all Christians at times succumb to stumbling at persecutions or tribulations because of their faith, as well as there's been times that we've been overcome by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. You see, the fairer interpretation of this parable is really that the first soil is the only one who completely rejected the gospel. The soil on the stony ground, Matthew 13:5, represents the immature Christian that upon persecution or trials, because of their faith, no longer exhibits the faith they have for fear of being persecuted, judged, or ridiculed. And while the soil on the thorns represents the carnal Christian, who after salvation becomes again entangled in the affairs of the world, loses his focus on eternity and places it back on the earthly. This interpretation actually fits holistically with much admonition against immature and carnal Christians. You read about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 3-4, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Galatians 5, 16, James 4, 1, Hebrews 5, 13, and on and on and on. Therefore, soils 2 and 3 definitely represent genuine Christians, but the ones that are admonished or rebuked to change, grow, and produce more fruit and mature fruit. You see, in misunderstanding this parable, Zane Hodges makes a very striking remark. A person who has believed in Jesus for eternal life, but isn't living like a Christian, doesn't need to be evangelized. He needs to be discipled. But when we keep evangelizing the saved, we end up confusing the born-again Christian who has believed and is saved. He begins to think he didn't believe the right thing because it didn't take. And so he keeps trying to get saved when what he really needs to do is be discipled. Unfruitful believers need instruction and correction on the Christian life. So Jesus' parable of the soils. The first soil, I would completely agree and argue, is not a Christian. But soils 2, 3, and 4 show different levels of a Christian, 
whether it's a carnal Christian or whether it's a mature Christian, a persecuted Christian or a worldly Christian. It's not the fact that they're not genuine. It's that once they got saved, they will be accountable for how they live their life as a Christian. Parable of soils, parable uh, soil number one, not a Christian. Soil number two, three, and four are Christians, and I would recommend we try to become like soil number four. Thanks for listening. We pray this ministry glorifies God and edifies you, the listener. For more great content, including videos, blogs, newsletters, and a free ebook, check out our website at c4capologetics.weebly.com. You can also email us at c4capologetics at gmail.com with questions or ideas for future episodes. We truly appreciate you. Please like, share, and comment on this episode, and don't forget to subscribe for future episode notifications. Thanks for checking in, and remember to be bold and keep contending for Christ.